Welcome to the Life Melbourne podcast. We're so glad you're joining us for another hope-filled message. We pray that you're encouraged by this powerful word from our Sunday service. Anyone excited to be in church? Any Samoans excited to be in church? Malo to the Usos that took down the English. What a great feeling. Us Kiwis couldn't do that, but uh, YOLO. <laughs> but uh, it is really awesome, a privilege to be here. And if you've never met myself, it is nice to meet you. Great to connect with everyone online. I see you in your pajamas there. I hope you're having a good service. And we're going to come around God's word in a moment. And I do believe this is a word for every single one of us. Uh, it's definitely a word that is coming out of uh, my reality, or another way I could put it is our reality as a family. Uh, if you were here last Sunday, you would have uh, had a moment like we did over in New Zealand to pray for Pastor Paul because uh, he has been doing incredibly well, as we've been hearing from updates. But about two weeks ago, maybe two and a half weeks ago, he was feeling a little bit off and so went for some more scans, uh, his second home, <laughs> his doctor's appointments basically. But uh, the MRI, unfortunately, as you may have heard, uh, produced some imaging in there where there was some significant swelling in his brain, and so we took some time last week to pray, and uh, you know, the good news is he's had some extra medication. He's like a walking pharmacy now, about 12 pills a day, <laughs> but the medication has reduced uh, the swelling and the pain for now, and there's obviously some critical next steps because the doctors don't want to muck around with things in the brain, obviously. Um, but thank you for your prayers because he really appreciates it. He wanted uh, to specifically note to every single person here, can you let them know that I love them and I'm thankful for the prayers and we're going to continue to believe in a year as a church that it would be a but God year. We have honestly seen so many miraculous things. I could not have enough time for the whole day today if we went through everything that we know of that God's done in people's lives, whether healing, financially, family situations. And we're going to continue to believe that as we place God first in our lives, we're going to see his hand at work. And you may have been in church a little while like myself. My story is I grew up in church. I fell asleep in church. Uh, church is who I am. It's what I'm about. And I've heard this passage particularly preached many times. I've read it many times. In fact, I've probably shared on it before, but I really felt in this last season to come back to this incredible psalm, Psalm 23. And if you're like me and you've been in church a little while, I want you to just go with me on this journey to look at it afresh. Or maybe you're not like me and this is a new environment to you. Well, the good news is I want to encourage you that God's word is living. It is powerful. And I believe in the next 20 or so minutes, it's going to become relevant to every single one of us because it's super practical. We're in a series known as counterculture. And if you read the Bible, it's very clear. We live in an upside down world. That the way of God is very different to the way of the world and no more so than this passage of scripture. It actually starts in verse one like this. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I mean, we could just preach on that for 60 minutes. The Lord is my shepherd, the psalmist says. I lack nothing. Can you say that? Can I say that? Because the cultural statement of today is I don't have enough and I am the Lord of my life. I shepherd myself around here. <laughs> but it goes on, verse 
2, and it's very powerful because it says this, He makes me. (laughs) He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. I don't know if I've had a year like this year where it doesn't feel that way. Green pastures and quiet waters, more like storm after storm and confusion after confusion and pandemic after pandemic. We are living in a countercultured time to this passage. It goes on to say, verse 3, He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for His namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's countercultural right there. As a comfort. (laughs) Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That's a stupid idea. (laughs) You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and your love, or another version puts it, your mercy, will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. No, that doesn't mean you need to come to church 24-7 every moment of your life. It actually means that when you say yes to Jesus, His Spirit and very power and presence lives inside of you all the days of your life. Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your word. We thank you you're already here doing miracles as we've prayed. But I pray that today as we gather around your word, it wouldn't just be another appointment in our calendar we tick off or another message I preach or another message that we hear, but you truly would speak in and through this word today that every single one of us would be changed and transformed from the inside out. In your mighty name we pray it and we ask it. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. I don't know if you've got currently a good boss right now or a bad boss. Do not answer that, Pastor Craig. (laughs) But the truth is we can probably think back to some of the bosses we've had that have been a little bit more unfair or unrealistic or some that you think, man, they're the best. I remember as a young kid uh, working at a go-kart track and I had a 21-year-old boss when I was 16 years old. He was awesome because we could just drive around on those go-karts whenever we liked when there was no customers. It was a great time. I remember that job because of how fun it was. But we can all recount bosses that we've had or currently have and make a judgment on who they are. What has this got to do with Psalm 23? Well, I'm glad you asked. We read at the beginning of the psalm, the psalmist pens, the Lord is my shepherd. The challenge for us in our day and our age is if culture can't get you to stop believing, I believe culture and the enemy will get us to just believe that he is only savior. But the revelation you and I need to live with is he is Lord before he's savior. He is Lord before he is healer. He is Lord before he is provider. He is Lord first and foremost. And why this is important is it may not be a term we use. I don't think anyone would call Pastor Craig Lord Craig, although it's got a good ring to it like that. Back in the day, Lord was used as a term to place honor and respect to someone of authority. So the day and the age or the culture we live in, the word boss makes a whole lot more sense. We get it because 
I could almost guarantee if you made a decision tonight that when you wake up tomorrow morning and go to work and you decide this week I'm going to do nothing the boss asks of me, it's not going to go well. Doesn't matter if your perspective is right and their perspective is wrong, they're the boss. So what they say goes. This is important because we want Jesus on our terms in our time frame, and we want him to do it our way. But we read, and as the psalmist writes, and we're going to go on a journey for a few moments, you and I need to actually understand Jesus is our boss, <laughs> that he is Lord. I have no problem letting my young children know that I'm the boss. None more so than the little man-child Cruz who just turned five and started school and Praise the Lord, all three are at school. What a feeling. I feel like I've you know, done something good in life finally. But I remember him chirping up when I was giving him some grief and said, hey, buddy, cut it out. I'm the boss. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, bro, stop the whining. Do what I ask. Dad's the boss. He goes, yeah, but you know what, Dad? You're not the boss of God. I was like, Come here, you little monkey. No. And he says, because God's the boss of everything, Dad. I was like, yeah, good answer, great theology. Now get up and do what I ask you to do. <laughs> the truth is, Jesus is Lord. Full stop. No debates, no buts, no ifs. People want to debate it. People want to discuss it. But at the, at the core of Christianity is Jesus is Lord. More than Messiah, more than Saviour, more than healer, He is Lord. In fact, the Bible says, <laughs> one day, all, all will come to this reality. That every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that He is Lord. There'll be people that didn't believe here on earth and they'll get to a moment where they have to discover they missed it. Now this is where it gets quiet and it gets a bit rough. It's like, man, I thought, you know, we were coming here for a good day. Trust me, it gets better. Don't worry. But every single person will face a moment where they will confess it. The people that believed it here on earth will get into heaven and the people that decided, nah, it was debatable and I didn't believe it, well, they'll still confess it in that moment, but it will send them to somewhere far more challenging. <laughs> See, when Jesus is your Lord, when he is like my Lord, it is the difference between a Christian making a commitment and a Christian living surrendered. So when it comes to a life of faith, when it comes to your relationship, my relationship with Jesus, the question is really simple. Am I surrendered and am I surrendering? Because Jesus can't be your Savior, my Savior, unless he is first Lord. The fact that he is Lord gives him the power to save the power to heal, the power to make a way. John 14, 23 puts it this way. Jesus answered him. Jesus was asked many questions and he had an answer for every single one of them. Hey, those who love me will obey my teaching. It's in the obedience of who he is and who he says to be that the Father will now love us and the Father will now come to us to live within us. So we have to obey before we receive salvation. In fact, it's so important 
that we understand Jesus as Lord, that your Bible and my Bible in the New Testament refers to him more as Jesus being Lord than any other term. In fact, 740-something times, Jesus is referred to as Lord. I hope you're getting the importance. But the challenge, and this is where it gets really quiet, because I know what it's like asking myself this question, is Jesus Lord of your life? Is He Lord of your family? Your decisions? Your calling? Your healing? Your finances? Is He Lord of your life? Because when we say Jesus is Lord, we commit ourselves to obey Him and to obey His Word. But here is where you need to understand and I need to understand. If Jesus is to be Lord at all, He must be Lord of all. Or is He Lord in one area of your life, so to speak? But don't touch that area, God, because that's my finances. Don't touch that area, Lord, because I believe for healing and that auntie died. Don't touch that area, Lord, because someone was ill-meaning towards me and that's too hard for me to deal with. So I'll, I'll let you be Lord here, but just not there. The challenge is, if he's not Lord of all, he can't be Lord at all. The good news is God's not looking for compliance, but he is looking for surrender. And the truth is, he is the best boss you and I could ever have. Because he's not about and interested in you and I getting the job done <laughs> or living compliant, but he's actually about bringing the best version of who we were created to be out of us. But it starts with an acknowledgement that Jesus is Lord. So we find in Psalm 23, as we read, when he is Lord, he's actually able to lead and guide our lives much like a shepherd does for his sheep. As we read, the Lord is my shepherd, verse one, I lack nothing. What a countercultural statement. But let me put it this way. When Jesus is Lord, not just your Savior, or not just your healer, then this reality becomes our language. Are there many things I'm still believing the Lord would do in my life? 100%. But can I honestly say in the season and the time that I'm in, which is the toughest one I have been through personally, can I honestly say I lack nothing? Yes, I can. There are moments where I feel a lot more lack than others, but I can declare that because the Lord is my shepherd, the one leading and guiding, I actually lack nothing. See, David pens the psalm and he understands the journey of the Israelites. We don't have time to go into the Old Testament now, but the people of God saw time and time again that when they were as a generation putting their Lord first, provision took place. In the wilderness, no food, manna from heaven. In the wilderness, need some water, strike a rock. Like, I mean, the list goes on and on, but you know, on the opposite side of the coin, you read in the Old Testament, the people of God losing the lordship and not going so well. See, David knew what it was for God's faithfulness to be at work that when he is Lord, there is no lack. When life is out of control, the best thing I can do, the best thing you can do is to stop and remember God's faithfulness and discover actually he can be trusted because God has been faithful already. 
Verse 2 goes on as we read. He makes me, I love this. <laughs> he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. How still is your world right now? How quiet is your mind? Or is it out of control? Because he wants to, when he's Lord, provide for you, but now make you lie down, lead you to quietness. When Jesus is Lord, you discover he knows what's best for you. Now, again, this is referring to a shepherd and the sheep. And if you understand, I'm no guru in shepherding. <laughs> but when sheep eat, they must rest. They have to. So the shepherd leads them, they lack nothing, to the food. Now the sheep makes them lie down because they need to rest. If they don't, it can be fatal for the sheep. And it goes on to say, he leads me beside quiet waters. If you know anything about sheep, they don't drink from water that has ripples in it. They're too afraid. They need the silence in the water, so to speak, to partake of what they need for their next day. So this is why he makes you lie down and leads you to quiet waters because he wants you and I to realize in your lying down, he's still working, you don't have to. And in your lapping up of the quiet water, you now discover peace. But when you and I don't lie down, I know this all too well myself in the chaos of life, in life you start to drink from any source you can. You start looking at the wrong things and the algorithm takes over. You start believing all sorts of messages or ideas or theories and you're quickly in a place where you're drinking but it's stormy and dirty water and what's coming out is filling your life with the muck, not the peace of the green pasture and the calm water. In fact, as I said a couple of weeks ago when the prognosis was, hey, there's significant swelling in the brain and there were significant complications for Pastor Paul, what did I have to do? I, I drove for the first time in many months, early in the morning to the beach. I get up early most mornings. This was a Friday, my day off, didn't set the alarm, felt good, still woke up before what the alarm would have normally gone off at in a work day. And I'm like, why am I awake? I felt energized, it was 5.43 a.m., and I looked at my watch and my watch said, sunrise at 6.14. I thought, you beauty, I know what this is for. <laughs> God's asking me to go get some stillness. So I drove to the beach, I put some worship music on. I, truth be told, I, I took my headphones, but they were out of battery. That was a great start. <laughs> so I put my phone in my pocket and I turned it up as loud as I could because I saw people walking the beach with their dogs. I was like, they're gonna worship with me today, whether they like it or not. And I just walked along the beach and I prayed and the calm and the stillness, despite the uncontrollable and unfriendly prognosis, was evident. And I found myself waiting and longing for the people to come past walking their dogs because I'd just lift my voice in prayer to let them know <laughs> something's going on here and hope that that could be a moment one day when that they go, I don't know what it was, but I felt something. And I believe it can be the peace of God. It was a process to go through. But isn't it interesting that when we get into the stuff of life, because life happens, we have to allow him to make us. Did I want to get up at 5.43 a.m. on my day off? 
But I tell you what, I'm so glad when I got home just before seven o'clock and the rest of the household were waking up, except the little fella, he gets up early. Dad, I was looking everywhere for you. <laughs> Sorry, mate, I was at the beach. Why didn't I come? Uh, I need my space, mate. <laughs> but I was rejuvenated and ready to tackle whatever was going to come in this season. Verse 23, he refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. When Jesus is Lord, he becomes our guide. He cares, he counsels, he instructs, he protects. But I love this scripture because it says, he refreshes my soul, he guides me along the right path for his namesake. Not us, but for him. This is important, why? Because this guarantees relationship with him. He doesn't wanna guide you just for your benefit, he wants to guide you so that you can be a part of the story of what he's building. When you say yes to Jesus, you are grafted into his family. This is a guarantee that you are a part of who he is. Your name may be Peter, could be Susan, Rachel, Luke, whatever it may be, we get grafted into his family when he is the Lord of our life. It's an incredibly comforting place when he guides you along the right path. It's a refreshment, as the scripture says, to your soul. Psalm 23 verse four goes on to say, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Put it this way, when Jesus is Lord, you and I get to walk through the valley. Through it. I hope you're still with us online because God doesn't want you and I to park in the valley. He wants us to walk through the valley in your toughest moments. Do you realize, as the scripture says, we need not to hold fear in our hearts or in our lives? I am so convinced after this last season of the journey our families walked through with Pastor Paul that there are only some things you can experience in God going through a valley. You would have heard Pastor Paul say it, I'm sure. Hey, I wouldn't wish this on anyone, but I wouldn't change it for the world. Why? Because there is a new character revealed of who God is for the season that even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. See, the rod and the staff earlier on in the Psalm 23 aren't mentioned because when you're in a green pasture, you don't need to be corrected. It's a green pasture. You can go where you like, lie where you like, eat what you like, it's good. But through the valley, again, not for the sake of time, but if you understand there was a... <laughs> very tough track sheep would have to walk through this valley where the rod and the staff were needed to keep the sheep from falling off the ledge and dying. So there are moments in the valley where it feels not just unfair but uncomfortable. But read with me again, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I didn't like the prognosis and I certainly didn't like what it was doing to my dad. Let's just be real for a moment. I started to get a little uptight and like I said, after going to the beach, that really helped. But before that, a few days before, 
I found myself driving, I think, to a meeting in my car, worship music cranking, and just tears running down my face. And they were tears, I guess, of disappointment or frustration. But then they turned because it was like this moment in God where it was like, I felt him say, you're good. I got you. It was like the bumping of the left and the right to say, we're okay, we're moving forward. And they turned into tears of great appreciation and comfort that God is still with me. When was the last time you felt the rod and the staff of comfort? Or is your life so not in tune with the Lordship of Jesus that you do what you want, when you want, how you want, but then you end up unfulfilled because you've missed out on what God has designed for you? Verse five, this is a crazy countercultural statement. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. When Jesus is Lord, you and I are both anointed and overflowing. What does this passage mean? You know, picture it for a moment. There's a table surrounded by enemies. You're sitting at one end of the table and he, as Lord, is at the head of the table. It allows you and I to walk through the stuff in life that isn't great, that we would wish upon no one and be able to see him before you see them, so to speak. The Lord cares for you and his mercy is towards you. In fact, this says it's overflowing. But make no mistake, he prepares the table in the presence of your enemies. If it was up to us, we wouldn't put the table there. But he realizes that it's more important you walk through the valley and you realize life, just as a Christian, doesn't mean you're going to be perfect and be free of the stuff in this life, but when you are in it, you can sit there and have peace and even fellowship and have a meal with the enemies camped around you. Why? Because he's the head of the table. He is Lord. And I can choose to focus on him, not the circumstance around me. <laughs> so the question is, do you see him before you see them? Tell you what, in the last few weeks, it's been a refocusing of what I look at. Is Jesus actually my focal point? Or is it prognosis? Is it natural challenge? Is it the enemy at work? Or no, do I see Jesus first? Because the moment I see him as Lord, I realize it's gonna be okay. I can sit down and I can eat. And finally, verse six, as Tanashi or AKA T-Dog joins me on the keys. The psalmist writes, surely... Your goodness and your love, your mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When Jesus is Lord, salvation is your inheritance. The truth is trials will come and trials will go, but the Lord remains forever. I love this verse six because everything is about the Lord is my shepherd. He is leading. He will always be leading. But when you choose and when I choose to follow the leading of the shepherd, it says, surely your goodness and your mercy, your love will follow me. It's like the angel of goodness. 
The angel of love, of mercy, following that as we follow Him, they take up the rear guard and protect us. That even though I walk through the valley, even though the prognosis is not good, even though I don't get it right now, I trust that He is Lord and He is leading. And even though I realise I lack nothing, even though I realise I can walk through, even though I realise He is with me, actually, as I follow, no matter what that means, goodness and mercy, His love will actually follow with me. But the decision lies with you and with me. Will we allow Him to lead? I've had to come back in the last couple of weeks and declare His goodness and His mercy despite where I find myself right now. God, You are good and God, You are merciful. This does not change your goodness. This does not change your love or your mercy towards me. It just changes how much more I need you to lead me. We allow Jesus to be Lord when we come to an acknowledgement that we owe everything to Christ. That's why we're here today. Whether your first time or your five millionth time like me. We are nothing without Him. This is why we're here. Jesus is our Lord and we owe everything to Him. How do we allow Jesus to be Lord? Not just that we acknowledge we owe everything, but that we acknowledge we belong to Him, Christ Himself, not ourselves or the culture of this world. We allow Jesus to be Lord when we acknowledge that things of value are found in Christ, not in a pay packet, not in a perfect house, not in the nicest car, the greatest relationship, the best high of your life, know that the things of value are actually found in Christ. And we allow Jesus to be Lord when we acknowledge that we share, watch this, in Christ's death and Christ's resurrection. We get to share in both. Placing Jesus as Lord might be hard, but I'm gonna let you know it's not complicated. It might be countercultural to say I'm surrendering to Jesus, but it's not complicated. It might be a different opinion of you and your family as to what you believe, and it might take a few conversations to get people on the same page, or they may never get on the same page, but it's not complicated. Faith in the Lord Jesus is required for salvation. And Romans 10 puts it this way, Romans 10 verse 9 to 11. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and then believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are now made right with God, but it's also by the open, open declarating of your faith that you are now saved. A belief He is Lord and a declaration that He is Lord where a miracle takes place. As the Scriptures tell us, verse 11, anyone, anyone who trusts in Him will never be disgraced. 
anyone who trusts in Him will never be disgraced. The truth is, yesterday is gone. The truth is, tomorrow is not promised. But we have today to make Him Lord of our lives. And I believe what the enemy fears the most is that when a human being makes a decision to submit and surrender their life to the Lordship of Christ. Why? Because this is where the enemy now has no say in the matters of your life. So he still has a say when he's just Jesus' Saviour or Jesus' Healer or Jesus' Sugar Daddy because there's question marks as to whether he is who he says he is in any other areas, but when he is first Lord, all else is who he is. The enemy has no say in the matters of your life. He still will have a crack and he's still at work in this world, but this is where it becomes not just a countercultural idea, but a countercultural lifestyle. Jesus, I trust you more than I trust me. Jesus, I trust you more than I trust my culture. Jesus, I trust you more than I trust the unanswered things I may be facing right now. Anyone who calls on the name shall be saved. And whether you're in this room or you're online, I'm going to pray a prayer in a moment. And it's as simple as that, making a decision to believe in your heart and then we're going to all confess. I'll give you the words to use. But I believe that in the power of this declaration and this belief, your life will never be the same. I want you to listen for a moment because I believe there may be people here today and you know what it is to be a Christian, but if you're honest, you're away from Christ. Let's put it this way. If I said to you online or here in the room, is Jesus your Lord? And you had an answer that was anything but 100% yes, I'm speaking to you. Maybe it's the first time you're hearing you can have a relationship with Jesus. Honestly, it's the best decision you'll make. One I believe you'll never regret because it changes your life forever. All your eternity secure and all your past forgiven. How good. But the Bible says He's not going to make you do it or make me do it. He's going to give us the opportunity. And when you believe and declare, everything changes. So I'm going to ask every head to be bowed, every eye to be closed. And if you're in this place, you're online, you say, Luke, you're talking to me. I want to say yes to Jesus. Maybe your heart's beating 100 miles an hour. You're thinking, oh, no. what will people think? What will people think? Well, good news is everyone's closing their eyes. <laughs> the truth is maybe God's knocking at the door. You know you're away from Christ, whether for the first time you need to make this decision or you need to come home, reconnect, recommit your life to Christ. Then online, there's a place where you can reach out to our team right now and say, hey, that's me. Can you include me in that prayer? If you're in this room with no one looking around, say, Luke, that's me. Could you pray for me? Could you include me? I wanna say yes to a relationship with Jesus. I'm gonna ask you just to lift your hand long enough and high enough for me to see it. Once I see it, I'll acknowledge it. You can put it down. Thank you, see your hand. Anyone else say, yeah, I wanna say yes to Jesus. I know this is a big decision. I know that this means a lot, but can I tell you on the other side of the decision is a loving God waiting, looking, longing to change your life. And so right now I'm gonna give you a couple more moments and then we're gonna pray. Say, Luke, that's me. I wanna say yes to Jesus. Online one, you do that right now. Anyone else wanna join this legend here, say, that's me. Just give me a quick wave and we're gonna pray. Awesome. Great decision. We're all gonna pray this prayer together. 
Even if you didn't lift your hand, but you wish you did, I'm going to ask you to pray it with all of us. Pray it like you mean it. Pray it like it's your prayer. And we're going to believe together God's going to change your life forever. So come on, why don't we say these words? Say, God, today, I give you my life. I'm sorry for my sin and trying to do my own thing. Today, I choose you as my Lord and my Saviour. Thank you for loving me, forgiving me, and giving me a fresh start. I declare I'm a follower of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, can we celebrate every single person online and in the room that made that decision? Good on you for making that decision. We trust that you are encouraged by this powerful message. You always have a place to call home here at Life. And we invite you to join us for our Sunday services at our Melbourne campus. If you're not in Melbourne, then join us for Church Online, wherever you are in the world. Just head to lifeau.org to stay connected and find out more.